All right. Hey, pod people. I'm Bart Allman. This is the Thinking and Drinking Shorty Show. These shows are going to be 10 or 20 minutes shorties about little things that are on my mind. I hope you like them. And if there's something you want me to delve into, let me know on Facebook or on my Instagram site, which is Thinking and Drinking Pod. And uh, here we go. Thanks again. Hey, special thanks to Paul Reed Smith. They make some of the best guitars in the world, and I'm so proud to have them as a sponsor. Check them out at prsguitars.com. Hello, Thinking and Drinkers. Uh, Thanks for tuning in again. Uh, We are going to start a sort of musical education series a little bit kind of a music industry 101 and uh, some of the things we're going to touch on are being a studio guitar player, being a songwriter, being a music publisher, uh, maybe being an engineer and uh, is there anything? Record promotion. Record promotion. That's right. I guess I should put that down. And if anybody has a question, go to... Yes, if we want to help educate people who may not know what all the different facets of the music industry are and these are just a handful that we're, we're starting with um so things that if, we've done yeah things that we have um experience knowledge. with and knowledge and all that fun stuff um but if there's something specific that anyone has questions about or wants us to talk about we would love for you to drop us a dm um on our instagram because that's the one that we check the most um at thinking and drinking pod also please follow us on thinking and drinking pod on instagram and on apple itunes and give us five stars we would really really appreciate it thanks all right thinking and drinking this is the uh music industry 101 series that we're doing here and uh amy our able-bodied assistant, no, I don't know what you are, is uh, going to talk to me about being a record promoter. So uh, there you go. Go ahead. Okay. So first of all, for people who may not have heard other episodes about your background, Mm -hmm. how did a kid from Holdridge, Nebraska, end up in Nashville working in record promotion? I came down to go to Belmont because... Being from Holdridge, Nebraska, you have no idea what the music business is. So I think my dad talked to somebody down here, and they said, that's a great place to start. And you went to MTSU, which also has a music business yes, program. Yes, both have great I programs. I guess they're very similar. Yeah. And I got a job because uh, I needed a job. Could not do an internship. I got a job at a little record company that Opryland Music Group owned called 16th Avenue Records. And I had no idea what I was going to do or how to do it. And they kind of just took me into their wing and said, here's what we want you to do. And I started that way. So thinking back to 16th Avenue Records, what was like, can you remember like one of your first days on the job? Like what, what was one of the first things they had you do? Like, you know, nothing about record promotion are they oh, having man. you call stores? Are they having you call radio stations? Are radio you- stations. There was at the time... There was Billboard reporting stations, R&R reporting stations, Gavin Report reporting stations, and Cashbox reporting stations. Billboard was the main deal. R&R and Gavin were pretty much tied for second and third, and then Cashbox was probably bringing up the rear. And since I was young and didn't know what I was doing, I was calling the R&R and Gavin stations, which a year down the road kind of flipped, and they kind of became the big major stations. Then I was in a great place. 
But it was calling stations. I mean, we couldn't win. We were working Charlie Pride Records and Vicky Bird and Canyon Records. And, and what year would this have been? Oh, man. Late maybe, 80s? Mid-80s, probably. Okay. Yeah, maybe mid-late. But it was hard. But I, I learned a lot about uh, relationships and getting stuff done, even though we knew we couldn't win. But yeah, calling a lot of stations, calling video reporting stations, because there was way more than, like, CMT wasn't around yet, MTV wasn't around. Well, I guess they were around. But there was a lot of video outlets, and I was calling them, and I would send out a lot of videos and stuff like that. But, I mean, stuffing horrible tchotchke bags to send out on a Don Williams record, Catfish Bates or something. No, wait, that was RCA. But it was a horrible record. But <laughs> so wait, you would send record. I mean, um, people at radio stations, you would send them like a CD of the song and like something that went along with the song. Sometimes, kind yeah, of pro, a promo Might item, be a T-shirt or or who knows what. But yeah. And then when did you start going on the road to go meet with those stations? Almost immediately. And did you have the artist with you at that time? No, no. That was a little bit later on that you would go out with the artist, yeah. correct? Probably more as a. That's more of a promotion? Probably when I worked with a record company that had artists that radio stations wanted to talk to. Well, yeah. <laughs> Bless their hearts. Bless their hearts. Yes. Um, so, okay, so what? how would you break down record promotion to someone who has never heard of what record promotion is? You're just basically, I mean, in the simplest terms, like you're trying to get a record station to add an artist record, correct? Yeah, to play that, your record. Okay. It's essentially sales, but you're not. It's not money changing right. hands. It's I'm sending you a, the newest Reba record, and you may want to play it or you may not want to play it. And I, over the course of eight or ten weeks, I'm going to do everything I can to convince you to play it, and then to play it more, and then to play it more. Okay, that's was kind of my next question. Is like. So you got them to add the record. Mm -hmm. That's a big win. And then the next big win would be like, okay, you need to play it how many times a week? How many times a week back in like the mid-90s, like when you were working with the Dixie Chicks, would they need to play it to get it to number one? Oh, man. I don't even know. I'd have to... I don't know. But they would start out quite often doing what they called overnights, which would be one spin at midnight, which meant they were playing your record, but nobody heard it. They were... They, they thought that was like testing it. Yeah. So they would try to, if they got some phone calls or whatever, they'd try to move it up in rotation. Or if the band was coming to town, you know, I would say, dude, I know you want tickets and passes and everything, but you're playing the f songs at midnight. Nobody's even hearing these songs. So help me out. Yeah. So they might move it up. They may move it back the next week, too. It's just, I mean, it was, it, there's a never ending combination of circumstances in this job that job and obviously like payola was um deemed illegal back in the 50s and all that yeah so you couldn't pay to have a record on no but you could do favors like they could get passes to a bigger artist yeah you would kind of trade goods in that way if i was trying to get them to play the new amy allman record they might say we'll play it if we can get 10 tickets and 10 passes to a garth brooks show right did you ever have people, I mean, people wouldn't ask for like somebody on another label. It would always be no. your label or your major, like Sony Records had several umbrellas. Yeah, and then we'd help them out if it helped me out first. Right. 
Yeah. Um, how- yeah. Once in a while, I got uh, I got asked for Super Bowl tickets one time, and from a guy that just came to from pop radio. I won't say his name or what station he was at, but. And what did you say to this gentleman? I said, you know what? I can't get you pop t- or Super Bowl tickets. He goes, my pop guy could. And I said, well, put me on hold and call him and see what he says. Because I'd like tickets too. I'll wait. And there's just crickets on the other end. He goes, all right. I get it. <laughs> this is a different deal. And I said, yeah, this is a different deal. <laughs> could have passed us to CMA Fest or That's right. Fanfare, as it was known back then. Yes. Um, so how hard is it to break a brand new baby act? I or at least back when you were in record promotion, because I know it's a whole different ball game these days. Yeah, um, yeah. Stations play a lot less artists, a lot less records now. I mean, well, there's just different ways too to break in. You don't yeah. have to go the traditional sign a record deal with a major record label. Yeah. Now you can do things differently, but back in the day, how hard was it to break the Dixie Chicks on their first record? That record was impossible because nobody knew who they were. Every woman programmer, not to be mean, but thought the name was horrible and sexist, and we were rotten record company for letting them have that name, even though they chose that name. It was right. their name way before we started working with them, and I always figured if they don't, if it doesn't bother them, why should it bother you? Sure. But that was, yeah, that was hard. That was really hard, and we were a brand new label, so we didn't have any favors to ask for. Right. We just had whatever relationships we had. Over the past X amount of years that we've been talking to these guys, but people move around all the time, and and it, it was yeah, it was super hard. So, what did it actually take to get their first hit record? Because you, how many? It was what the second single that really broke. No, the first one went top five. Okay, but we worked with some people who it was hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, I don't even remember your question. But just like how how you finally got them to break. Oh, it, it just the the music had to speak for itself. Yeah. Finally, these guys figured out that if they played the record, people started calling in and reacting to it, and people started buying it. And so after X amount of singles, then they figured out. Oh, and now they're up for all these CMA awards and these Grammys, and this is an actual viable act. So then, all of a sudden, you know, it was country radio's idea that they started playing this band. So, but you had to like go with them to record stations. I mean, uh, record radio stations. Yeah. I can't think. You went to radio stations with the Dixie Chicks, and they would play live for the um, station manager or anybody or in the play. We would bring in pizzas and take over a conference room, and every- and then when you see them live, that they they speak for themselves at that yeah. point, you know. Yeah, you used to see all the people in the office would watch these three pretty girls come in with bright pink guitar cases, and they'd just roll their eyes collectively, and then they'd take them out and just smoke everybody in the room. And that's when they went like, oh, this is for real. Yeah. We get it now. So when you were doing that with, like, Dallas Smith, when you were working with at Blaster mm-hmm. Records, that was a different ball game because he was kind of an act from Canada who had had some pop success in the late 90s. Yeah. That was a little more difficult because it was jumping genres and countries because it is people can make it as a Canadian artist that will never make it in America. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we love Dallas, and Dallas is so talented. He's and great, great, absolutely great singer. Yeah. Um, but it's also having money behind. Yeah. 
the the I mean, like that's the thing that people don't understand. You know, go into our conversations about all this stuff with Taylor Swift and Scooter Braun and mm-hmm. Scott Borchetta is people hear Taylor's side of the story, but what they don't understand is how much money a label will put into an artist. And it is literally a gamble. They may never get that money back, Record ever. companies are entrepreneurs. I mean, I always tell people that obviously the Dixie Chicks worked out really well, but back in those days, we had over a million dollars in them before we ever released the first single. Which is amazing. I don't think anybody like ever would imagine that that's, no. that's how it is. And it's, and it's in what? In production, yep. It's in promotion, marketing, promotion. Marketing, all of our. I mean, I was on the road eight months that year with them, seeing radio lot. stations. I mean, most months I was gone between like twenty six and twenty eight days. Yeah, a month. Meanwhile, we're setting up a whole record company, and yeah, I mean, I I remember we had other artists you had to work with too. Yeah, well, no, not then. We didn't. We we would soon. But we had, um, this was before cell phones were cheap and roam, there was roaming costs and oh, everything. Yeah. And I had an $8,000 cell phone oh bill. Gosh. And I remember Alan Butler just looking at me and he kind of went, you doing good work? And I said, yeah. And he goes, keep it up. Wow. And it was just like, well, that's the price of doing business. Yeah. And that's obviously changed now. That, yeah. You know, you have unlimited plans for solo and... I mean, well, it's, everything's a little easier in certain ways, but harder in others. Well, without selling the millions of records we used to sell, I can't imagine it's cost efficient to take an artist out to see 150 radio stations anymore. You know, put a yeah. regional and an act in a in a car, in a van, in a bus, and you have hotels and meals and salaries and everything else. Maybe that. Artists can't play instruments, so now you have to hire a band, mm-hmm. or at least a guitar player or something. Right. And it takes a lot of money. Yeah. Now, what is the difference between like working with somebody brand new and then working with an artist? And I'm sure, I, I'm not, I haven't asked you beforehand who, like, I know you work with like Clint Black, but I can't remember if you broke him. I started if- with Clint at first, either first single of the. Second album or last single of the first album? I don't remember. I think it was first single of the second album. Well, did you ever come in where someone was already pretty big that you started working their records? Oh, yeah, like the Judds. The Judds. They so, started their farewell farewell tour with me. So was how was that different? You know, because obviously radio stations know them, and they're, you yeah. know, wanting to play their songs. Well, there's a track record there. Yeah. Then, you know. They could it's do, just easier yeah, on you at that it's point. Way easier. And also you hope that they have some relationships of their own and mm-hmm. we'd be on the bus and ask why Nona to talk to somebody because she'd known them longer than I had and, and she would do it. Yeah. And there's always that. I mean, I remember uh, Aaron Tippin, every ad, every change in rotation when I was at RCA with him, he'd call he'd call a radio station. So we'd get him a call sheet every Monday night, every Tuesday morning, and while he was on the bus, he'd sit there and he'd call radio stations and call them and call them and call them. And I had one radio station, very joking, because everybody loved Aaron, said, yeah, haven't gotten my Aaron Tippin call yet this week, and they kind of chuckled, and there was, I don't even remember, I don't want to put anybody down, but it was like, I said, yeah, when's the last time Alan Jackson called you? Yeah. And they just, Nothing. And I said, Aaron's just trying. 
You know, he's just trying to help. He knows he's got that voice, and at the time it was still really working. But yeah, he just he always did whatever he needed to do. Yeah, so and that's, that's a really good situation. Well, because had, not every artist yeah, is going to do he that. He had great management with Narvel and Reba and Trey, and so they helped helped get him to do all that stuff. But if you started working with Reba, obviously she would already have 30 years of relationships. Right. So she would have those to, to back up on. Did you ever have an artist that you worked with that was kind of – I'm going to say this as kindly as I can. <laughs> a little past their prime, because I remember, I'm not going to say your yeah. quote, but at one point I know that one of the labels you were working for, they just continually sign like people who are not yeah. having success anymore. Um, and how how difficult was that to work with someone? Not the person, but like to try yeah. to get their records played versus... Like a brand new act, somebody at their prime, and then somebody kind of like at the end of their career. It's 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 harder because they've already started cooling off, and you can tell. I mean, what was the uh, Lil Nas X, uh, Billy Ray, Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus thing? Yeah, you know, one reason. I mean, obviously, he did a great job on that record. It was what. Helped to be number one for eighteen weeks or yeah, something, something insane. insane. Yeah. But country radio wasn't going to play him. No, nobody wants to play Billy Ray Cyrus anymore. Love him with all my heart. One of the best guys I ever worked with. But it's like now, you know. I mean, I can't imagine. And like you say, no offense to anybody, but if Reba put out a new record, I don't know that anybody would want to play it. All right. Hope so. I mean, she's still fantastic, and and she still sounds great. But at the same time. Everybody's seen her, you know. I mean, I remember working with Axe. You could not get radio to come out and see him anymore because they'd already seen him 25 times. Right. And they weren't having hit records. So it's like, uh, that's okay. Yeah. You know, thanks for asking. But yeah, I mean, I jokingly, well, I got called by a radio station at a certain label I worked at. They said, you guys are essentially a used car lot. Yeah. And it was because we kept signing Axe that we all thought were great, but nobody cared about them anymore. Right. Just because they're great doesn't mean their song's going to get played on the radio. Well, there's no passion. Everybody wants what's new and hip and cool and, and coming around the corner instead of going around the bend, you know? Yeah. So, I don't want to get political, but when um, records, uh, radio stations started to not consolidate, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I know what you mean. Consolidate. Whenever the, um, oh gosh, it, there's an actual term yeah. and a law that got passed um, by Bill Clinton yeah. that um, deregulated radio. Yeah. Where basically stations could be owned by a it big used, monopoly. Basically, it, it's just a big monopoly. You used to only be able to own X amount of stations in each market. Right. And then and once you, deregulation came in, you could buy all the stations in every market if you had all the money. And the worst part about that was, beforehand, your station was trying to get 20 shares, and my station was trying to get 20 shares. Well, now our collective boss bought 10 stations, and all they want to do is get 20 shares between them. And they're they're going to consistently play the same things. Yeah. So you're not really hearing a lot of difference on the radio stations. You'll hear... The same, you know, Luke Bryan song yeah. on every station, or the same ten, you know, 
Really same uni- ten songs yeah. on every station at different times, playlist. which makes it harder. Yeah. It makes it harder essentially for new acts to break and new, um, yeah. smaller artists to get heard. Now, when Sirius XM yeah. and then streaming came along, that kind of changed the game a little bit, didn't it? Yeah, because there's, I mean, just Sirius XM has. 12 country stations? 10 country stations? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's not that many. But they but, have like uh, Y2 Country and right. The Highway, which the is highway. the big one but they for can, new artists. But they can they, they have an 80s channel. They have a classic channel. They have a bluegrass channel. And so they can afford to trot out the new Bart Allman record and see what it sounds like. And they'll get five phone calls and say it's awful. And then it's like, okay, well, we're done. You know, or they'll have five calls that say that's fantastic. Can you play that more? And it's it's definitely and the same thing with streaming and, and Instagram and, and Facebook and everything else, that if you can get your face and your record and your song in front of somebody, there's a chance they might hear it. Yeah. Where if you think you're gonna have an equal chance of getting a Bart Allman record on a radio station as you would a Florida Georgia line record. That's not realistic. Right. So you got to find other ways to do that kind of thing. Which kind of brings around, like, that's before you worked with Florida Georgia Line. I was working with Florida Georgia right. Line um, at Big Loud, which was just Big Loud Shirt and Big Loud Mountain at the time. But that's kind of how they broke. That was before they even signed yeah. with Republic. Republic. Yeah, John Marks. John Marks at Sirius XM yeah. picked them up, picked up Cruise, and started playing it. And it got some interest and... Which piqued the interest of Republic and the rest is history. Um, yeah, I ended up getting a lot of interest. Yeah. So, did okay. The late nineties probably were the worst for like music business, not music, but music business because you had Napster screwing over everybody mm-hmm. with giving away music, which hurt not just the artists; it hurt the record companies. It yeah. hurt. Retail. Retail. It hurt the songwriters. It hurt everybody. It everybody hurt everything. took a huge hit. I think it hurt everything except touring because you still had to right. find a way to buy a ticket to see a show. Right. You can't get that for free. Right. Um, and music Unless has you know value. Somebody. Music should not be free. You know, isn't it funny? I was just thinking about that. Scott Borchetta, yeah. three years ago, four years ago, started having T-shirts and stuff made up saying music has value. And it it's does. Like, and it finally, it, it does. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, I mean, we're kind of getting on another thing about publishing, but thankfully we now have, like, publishers getting paid at least kind of what's in this century as opposed to 1920. But anyway, so, yeah, so you had deregulation, you had Napster, so Mm -hmm. therefore a lot of record labels closed. Publishers got smaller and smaller. Radio stations. Radio stations. A lot of radio personalities and stuff got... Knocked off the air yeah. because they would have one person voice track six different morning shows all around the country in different markets. And so. And now everybody that works in the music business is selling real estate or yeah. um, Rodan and Fields. Just kidding, kind of. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the 90s, late 90s was not great for the music industry. Yeah. Um, Okay, moving on to another subject, because we could just go down a rabbit hole, and we just probably don't need to go there. Right. But um, We're going to make all our friends mad. I know, right? Well, I mean, God bless them for doing what they're yeah, doing, because absolutely. it just, it really, literally feels like salmon's, you know, swimming upstream to, yeah. like, 
get up there, reproduce, and die. I mean, yeah. it's kind of what the music industry is these days, Yeah, sadly. Um, so kind of going back to like, so, oh, another thing that kind of ended was now you had, you had four charts and now there's one chart. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of different charts within Billboard, obviously, for the different genres, but in sure. now streaming, which wasn't really around when you were doing record promotion, no. but um, we lost all those. I mean, I think when I started, there was Gavin, R&R, and Billboard, and Gavin shortly closed after. Yeah. Um, so Cashbox is already gone. Cashbox yeah. is gone, which is very sad, because then you had like all these opportunities and ways to get get heard. Yeah. But on the other flip side, I mean, nowadays you don't have to have a record deal to get heard. I mean, Little, Little Nas X is a perfect example. Yeah. I mean, not that he's country, but, you know. Huge example. He came from SoundCloud and whatever, TikTok? I don't, yes, no, I don't really know. what that is. Something but, like that. Um, but, I mean, there's YouTube and, you know, Facebook Live and all the, there's so many ways that people can get heard yeah. that maybe wouldn't get heard and who know, you just never know. Well, a lot of reason also a lot of those charts went away and stuff is because of a little word called impressions. Mm. And, so what is an impression? Well, coming from Holdridge, Nebraska, population 5,500, one spin in Holdridge, you probably had 300 people listening to that one spin. 300 impressions. Whereas you have WSIX here in town have one spin on, well, maybe 100,000 people heard that. So everybody started walking away from small market and sometimes media market radio to go after large market radio because of impressions. And I guess that's realistic, but I always, you know, being a small town boy, I always still really like to help small town folk out. Yeah. But that's a lot of reason why, because Cashbox was really small market based stations. And impressions, um, to kind of relate that to something today, like on Instagram, I, th- I have a business account from a photography page. So I don't know if this is on like a regular account, but, um, if you look at your insights and activity, you can see how many impressions your posts are making. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, it's the same thing, you know, yeah. how many people are, seeing it or all that. Um, now, wh- what does the phrase burn mean? Burn means, well, it kind of, doing research, sometimes you'd get a phone call from a radio station and unfamiliar and burn kind of ended up being the same thing. Unfamiliar was you didn't, you've never heard the song and burn mean you were really sick of hearing that song. And so either way, it was just, Negative. Okay. So, like, somebody call and be like, I don't want to ever hear this song again. Stop right. It. And then radio stations would get that information back to you. Like, our audience is tired oh, of it. Man. We need some new music. And, and what if it was, like, at the, in the top five, and you're like, no, please keep playing it. We need to get it to number one. Oh, we fought for number ones where there was maybe 70% burn at radio stations. Yeah. And now, again, tippy toes here. You'll see a record go to number one, and radio will have a new record on their desk the next day. Sure. So they don't give them any time to air out any of these records. And if you have a huge Luke Bryan record, obviously radio station wants to play the sure. new Luke Bryan record, but but you maybe haven't heard the last one long enough. So records now are having a shorter, like a song. Now I want to be more specific. A song 
is having a shorter lifespan on the charts than it did. I think 10, so. 15 years ago. Yeah. Where, you know, you would be on the, you would be trying to get the song, like Brand New Girlfriend. That took eight, nine, ten months to get to number one. It was a long time. Maybe even longer than that. But like nowadays, like a label can't do that, can Mm-mm. they? It has no. to be number one within like four or five months. And radio won't let them do that either. Right. Which yeah. is, that's a shame because then, you know. We used to work two singles a year on an act. Yeah. Now and it's now it's four or five, four or six, five. depending that's, on. And that, to me, that wears out the audience on that artist, oh, unless you just love that specific artist. Well, I still will love a specific artist, but I kind of want some bit of ownership with that music that I paid for because I still buy CDs and yes. stuff. And I want those songs to be mine. You know, you can like them too, but this is mine. Right. So um, when you were doing record promotion and you're trying to get your song to number one, did you ever get a bonus when your song went number one? As Yes, we did. You did? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's nice. So it was an incentive as an employee to get the song to number of one. Of course. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was incentive to us. It just pissed off everybody else at the record company. <laughs> well, sure, it would piss me off. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it depended. Sometimes the bonus would come from a producer, sometimes from an act, sometimes from the record company, yourself, you know, your boss would just, I mean, sometimes we would get to go, hey, you know, we're all going to be in Kansas City for this deal. I I went ahead and got us all Kansas City Chiefs tickets, so we're going to stay an extra day. Yay, that was fun. And so a bonus could be be anything. Right. That's cool. Yeah. what do you think was the most surprising thing you learned about record promotion, about your time in record promotion? Or how it changed, maybe? Well, I don't know how it's changed. I haven't done it in a while, but I don't know. I, I really I really used to think we could affect airplay at a certain radio station because of a relationship. Now there's so much cor- corporate programming that getting the new Kenny Chesney on iHeart's playlist might be 70 stations in one week or something. Yeah. Well, that didn't have anything to do with me. So now all I'm doing is coming into town and making sure you get to see Kenny and have a meaningful backstage interaction before yeah. the show. So I, that, that, like, when you, when you worked with Florida Georgia Line, and they were obviously on their third, second? Album? Album. Second. Second album, going into the third album. Yeah. Um. And you're out on the road introducing them to records, uh, radio stations. I can't talk. Record radio, record radio. I have to get it right because I can't <laughs> say radio promotion because you will get mad at me. It's not radio promotion. It's not radio promotion. It's you're pro- promotion. promoting a record. Yes. So when you would introduce the guys <laughs> to radio stations, you were just kind of a liaison for the label at that point. Yeah. You weren't. They were already playing the songs. You were just making sure that the person from the radio station was having a good time. That yep. The guys were saying hello to who all they needed to say hello to. Yep. Um, so that that has changed in some respect because, like you said, iHeartRadio, they already have their playlist made up. Yeah. Which, again, goes back to sucking about deregulation. Yeah, anyway. I think so. Um, so... Okay, that was kind of my next question was, when you're out on the road with an artist, what were your actual job duties? like? Oh, man, anything. Uh, I had to go buy underwear with a 
female act one time because she forgot to pack them. So I had to get my rental car out and go to the mall and do that or take him to the radio station or feed him or I need to buy my little daughter a, a birthday present. Well, there's a mall right over there. So, I mean, just anything that helped keep everybody's lives regulated and then, obviously, the, the main thing was just making sure that the radio station was happy with the number of tickets and meet and greets and all that stuff. Yeah. And that the artist wasn't rude, because artists are people, too. And yeah. everybody in the world has a bad day and a good sure. day. And if you're having a bad day when you're meeting 15 radio stations, that's that's not going to be a good day for me. Those aren't good impressions. No, those are not good those impressions. Those are not the impressions we Their want. Their burn would be high. Their burn would not be good. Um... <laughs> I think that's all the questions I had kind of specifically about record promotion. I'm sure there's a lot more that you could talk about we didn't touch on. Is there anything you can think of that you want to say about record promotion or what it is? I'm glad I did it. It was it was interesting for the 15 years or whatever. I made some really good friends, both in radio stations and artists. And, and I loved I mean, if you're in a car or on a bus with somebody – you know, 20 hours a day, you better figure out how to get along or yeah. find somebody else. I just think it's funny when we like drive across, you know, to Nebraska or we go to Florida or whatever, and we'll hear a radio, local radio station and you'll be like, Oh, I, I work. I went to that station or I know so yeah. from that station. And, you know, I don't, I wonder if people still, feel that way that are currently working in record promotion that are like, oh, yeah, I know that person. Or I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Otherwise, it's just kind of another sales job, which yeah. is which is fine. But, but when you were really able to help a station form the way they sounded and, and, you know, shoot, man, I don't think the Dixie Chicks would, I mean, it's not like we're best buddies, but I think they would willingly say, you guys changed our lives. Oh, sure. You know? Sure. And we and, did, and they changed our lives. And record promotion in the cog of music and getting an act played is hugely, hugely important. Yeah. It's probably one of the most important, next to like the music, the most important thing. Well, I remember, you know, talking to other record company guys about big artists, and I said, everybody's got good music. And, and he said to me about a female artist, and he goes, yeah, but we win all the battles. He said, you can't buy a bad story about So-and-so. artist X, yeah. whoever that was. He said, they may not always love her songs, but they're never going to have a bad interaction with her. Never. Yeah. And so she's going to get the nod, maybe when her record doesn't deserve it this week. Because they've never had a bad interaction with her. Which is probably why Garth Brooks was as huge as he was. Oh, man. Still you know? huge. Yeah. I mean, he just seems... I've actually never met him, but he seems like he would be the nicest guy. Yep. Um, no, you can't buy a bad story about right. him. Yeah. And I guarantee you he's had bad days, but nobody but him knew it. Yeah. And till, I mean, you've heard stories of him signing autographs for 24 hours. 24 hours. Or whatever. Yep. Um, okay, one last question, and you don't Good, have to I, answer. I got to get out of here. <laughs> you don't have to answer it if you don't. Well, then why ask it? Because it's fun. <laughs> um, so, I know back in the day, in the 90s, in the roaring 90s, right. before all the crappy Napster deregulation, all that stuff happened, um, 
and things were just rocking and people were there was no budgets at record labels and all that stuff. Well, there was, but not for record promotion. <laughs> what was your highest expense report? Oh, man. Do you remember a number? Like how much money you spent one month working your job? And I'm sure it was probably like the month of CRS or something, which is Country yeah. Radio Seminar. Right. Which is where all the label, I mean, all the... um Record stations would come into Radio town. Radio stations. <laughs> I promise. I'm smart. All the radio stations would come to town, and you would introduce new acts, old acts. It, it's just like a big old convention. I don't. I don't know. And debauchery and fun and drinking and because all that good so stuff. much of the big stuff, hotels and buses and whatever, all went through. I thought you had a really, really big one. Like, I'm. How much are you thinking? Fifteen. Oh, I would say absolutely fifteen. It's <laughs> not that much. Oh, you don't think fifty thousand is a lot? No, uh, it, it's a lot. I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, but it was a lot. But we were doing good work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We I mean, that was in the middle of like the heyday of yeah. country music and how big it was, which is why it sucks that used to get. Uh, yeah. Ken Burns to, didn't put that in there. I know. His little documentary. Used to have gold record parties. Now you get dropped if you have a gold record. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's changed. But, they're, they're not even parties now for platinum records. I'm, just, I'm glad I was in the music business when I was. Yeah. Because it was fun. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you had a good old time back in the heyday of the chicks. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I bet. Anyway. So thanks. Yeah. Hopefully there's some information maybe that people haven't heard before. Yeah. Um, and if you have any questions about Ask away. record promotion specifically, please send us a DM on Instagram at Thinking and Drinking Pod and also subscribe to the podcast and give us five stars. Bam. Thanks, Amy. You're welcome. Bye.